Good morning! On this bowl of question crunch, Saleta is here to answer questions about having boundaries, fantastic Afrofuturism books, and crocheting for the apocalypse. <laughs> for the Neotropolis recap episode and ever since that episode I wanted to talk to you about everything that you do because I I know we didn't really meet at Neotropolis but we have had conversations online and I think you are absolutely awesome I think everything that you do is really is incredibly cool I love it thank you um I love your uh I don't want to say obsession it might be obsession I'm not sure but your love of books I want to mention that because I'm a big fan of anyone who's a big fan of reading. I think that reading is important, and I think that uh, people, uh, a lot of times when I find someone who is a big fan of reading, they give me, they post on social media books that I would otherwise not know about, and then I can go find it and enjoy my time, enjoy a read, and learn something new that I would, I don't know, I just feel like all of your posts about books feeds me, I guess? Yeah, that's I'm, I'm going to use that word. I'm going to use that phrase. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I, so I got my first library card when I was about four. I think that's right. And I think I'm up to six now because <laughs> you like you, it's not just that you get library books wherever you are, um, but during the pandemic, you could actually get online um, cards. And so then I was like, well, I've always wanted a, an, um, a library card from New York. So it was like, well, now I got my library card from New York City. Yay. And why why would you not have a library? Why would you not have sex? I guess is my question. Uh well, I guess the reason why I would not have sex is because I, I I did not know you can get a library card in other uh states without being in the state. So I might have to look into that. Was it just the pandemic or is it a thing that's still ongoing? I think that for some libraries it's still ongoing. Um, so I have library cards from my original state, but I lived in different cities. And then I lived in Alameda County the entire time, but there's an Alameda County library and then there's city libraries. So my Alameda County library is a separate card because, because that's it. Because I don't reasons. <laughs> <laughs> It was just weird because like, I was thinking to myself, uh, why would you have six library cards? And sure, moving is definitely a good reason to have six li library cards. But I realized as I was asking the question that I currently have two, so I just need four, uh, four more and I'll be good. I'll be good. Um, I didn't even know I actually had that many library cards, to be honest. I know I recently got, not recently, I got a few, ew, oh, man. <laughs> having kind of time blindness and having a pandemic uh, wipe out a few years, uh, you're like, oh, I got this library card recently. And I look back and I'm like, nope, that was probably a decade ago. Okay, cool. I mean, if you count the pandemic, it was two decades ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love when I said that uh, you feed me information, you feed me books, you feed me literature that I would otherwise not know about. And I'm always a big fan of learning. I'm always a big fan of seeing things from a different perspective that I would otherwise not even look or not look, not ever look, but not know that I could look and oh, gone. Okay. I, I like, okay. Like, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
when you're on the Neotropolis recap uh, conversation, you mentioned that you teach a class of boundaries. And I feel like even if someone has a good sense of, uh, even if even if for myself, I think I'm good at setting my own boundaries, but there are aspects of your life, of your personality that you would otherwise not even know to even ask or even to think about. So I really, uh, I would love to learn more about uh, when did you start teaching folks about boundaries? According to my friends, I've always been doing it. Oh, cool. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> um, so I have a friend that we've been friends since we were 12. And it is and my and my favorite cousin, basically, it is my understanding that I have always been like, you know, you don't have to do that. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm like anti authority, but I would say that I am always the person who's questioned everything. And so my parents my mother frequently used to say, you're not like the other kids, so we never really knew what to do with you. And it's because the other kids would either go along fully or fight about literally everything. But I fought about very specific things. So um, I had asked, to, I don't even remember what I asked to do. I asked to do something and I was told I wasn't allowed to do it because I was a girl. Like that was the actual reason given. And I was like, I'm... 10 years younger and far more responsible than my older brother. So I absolutely reject this response. And my dad was like, what do you mean you reject this response? And I was like, no, like if you would let this irresponsible male do this thing, you cannot tell me I cannot do it solely based on, well, you didn't, you're not saying I'm irresponsible. You're not saying I'm a troublemaker. You're literally like, you're a girl. Like that's a dumb answer. So like, try again. <laughs> Um, and that's, I think that was my boundary was it's not fair to tell me no solely based on me being a girl and I will fight against that. So <laughs> I know how you feel because I don't think I'm necessarily anti-authority. I'm pretty confident I'm not anti-authority, but whenever there's, I don't know, seemingly arbitrary authority, if you can explain it better to me, then maybe I can follow along. But if I don't understand the, the the rule that you're giving me, if the rule I think is silly and you're not willing to help me out and understand in a way that I can't argue, then I want to fight back. <laughs> yeah, because this is this is the way we've always done it or this is how it's done. Like, that's not an answer I will ever like. I, I, I am anti-patriarchy, so that is always a place where I'm just going to be like, well, I know this is how you think you've always done it. But we're going to have some conversations. Um so I think boundaries for me is one of those things where, <clears throat> you know, the hardest part about boundaries isn't setting the boundary. And that's the, the thing people get wrong the most, in my personal opinion. It's the holding of the boundary. It's the part where you say, when you do X, I will respond with Y. And then the person does X and you go, oh, they, they love me. Maybe they didn't mean it. It's okay. Like... And then you just get pushed and pushed and pushed and then you get mad and then you just start yelling and now you're not enforcing a boundary you're like starting a fight and you're telling them what they can and can't do whereas what should happen is hey so we had a conversation about if you did this this is how i was going to respond and this is how i'm responding right now like i'm gonna take a time out i'm gonna think about how i feel about this you can keep doing whatever it is you're doing but I will not be engaging with this behavior any further until I'm in a place where I can like have a clear conversation with you and be really sure 
that you're going to listen to me and honor what I told you. And that sounds like a rule, but it is a rule for me. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you act this way, this is my response. What kind of tips or tricks would you recommend to someone who uh, might feel the desire to uh, justify or make excuses for the other party? If you are forgiving someone a lot for bad behavior, stop and think about that. Like what, how, how much is this, you know, it happens once a year. Is this, it happens once a month, once a week, once a day. At what point do you say, I don't deserve this behavior? Because I think that's part of it is there's, there's deliberate bad behavior, which I have experienced where somebody is doing something to you every single day and you're just like, maybe like maybe tomorrow they'll be better because you're not accepting who they are, you're accepting who you want them to be. So that's a different problem. <laughs> um, and just rem I think remembering that you're worth protecting, you are worth caring for. That's a thing that I've been really having to remind people of this last year, I think as we've moved out, uh, <laughs> We're not out of the pandemic, but as we've moved out of the pandemic. I'm glad you clarified that. We're not out. <laughs> um, we're better. <laughs> right, we're better, but we still, we should still be taking care of each other. We should still be thinking in a really community vein. And so if you are a person who's like, well, I'm going to wear a mask to protect everyone else. Okay, but you should also be wearing a mask to protect you. And that's an example of like, yes, to protect everyone else but like if you took off that mask and then you got covid is there somebody there to take care of you like how i got covid in my uh in april right before i had all these different events to go to and i was traveling for two weeks um my partner got exposed so then he also had to isolate and what happened was is the plan of who would take care of me sort of fell apart and thankfully I have a wonderful community of friends. So people were like sending food and like checking in and like, do you need snack money? Do you have tests? Do you need masks? How can I help? So even though people couldn't physically be with me, I was still taken care of when I was sick. And that's how we should be doing things. So I guess part of the boundary is we're thinking about, are you always doing for the other person and they're never doing for you? Cause just stop for a second and think about what that looks like. I really like that point uh, of wearing masks to protect people when there is a virus, when there is an actual, not actual, I don't want to say actual, but when there is a physical threat that we are aware of that can endanger your health. But I feel like mental health should be respected and appreciated and valued as as importantly as physical health yes. so saying a boundary think of the boundary as a as as a mask i like that i'm going to keep that in mind that it yes it is to keep everyone else safe but you also should be caring about say washing your hands focusing on you because the washing of the hands i you know i guess it doesn't spread germs but i th i think that that is a good point of uh, having a support team, your friends all came in, stepped up, and helped you when you were sick. I feel like that can be. <laughs> I, I I feel like that is, and I think, I think it's also because you can communicate. 
people can see the physical, you can, they can see that you had COVID. You probably posted that you cough, sneeze, get sick. And you're like, all right, now I have to isolate. But when it comes to mental health, it's a lot more invisible. So people don't know how to step up unless they are communicated. I guess, do, do you think that, because uh, I, I know a lot of people isolate and they don't want to tell everyone if they're hurting or tell anyone about their boundaries. They just want to <laughs> hunker down and hide. I think there's a lot of shame and stigma to, still around mental health and mental illness. And we're we're getting better, which is great. But we're still so far like the the word crazy, for example, is a word that I do use it sometimes, but it honestly makes me cringe because we're not we're not thoughtful about how we use it. Because if we're saying this is my crazy ex-girlfriend and then you talk to the crazy ex-girlfriend and you're like, well, he disappeared for three weeks and I didn't know where he was. And so I was trying to check in on him and make sure he was okay. Cause I didn't know if he was dead in a ditch somewhere, but his version of that is she was stalking me cause she's crazy. Well, you talked every day for however long. And then she just, van- <laughs> you vanished off the face of the earth and you scared her. She didn't know if you were okay. And if you'd have just said, I'm okay and I don't want to talk to you, yes, it would have been upsetting, but she would have known you were alive. <laughs> you know, like, so isolating is one of those things we should be aware of. If somebody who is posting on Facebook every single day, and you've known this person for more than six months, and this person posts every single day, and they don't post for a week, then they don't post for two weeks. Do you not notice that? Is there not dead air? Is there not a moment where you're like, hey, you know I haven't seen? I haven't seen Jimmy in a while. Even if I'm not talking to you, I just, I see your posts, right? So I'm gonna be like, oh, that's weird. I will be a little bit stalkerish. I will go check. I'll be, you know who I haven't heard from in a while? <laughs> and I will just literally like go to your Facebook and just see if you're even posting. Because if I'm not seeing it, maybe you've decided that I don't need to see your post, then that's fine. But if I see that you're there, then I'm going to worry a little less. But, you know, yeah, if you posted every single day and you didn't post for two weeks, I would probably be like, hey, buddy, how, how you doing? You, you okay? Because I don't need to say, are you having a mental crisis? Talk to me right now. But I can just be like, hey, You've been a little quiet, haven't heard from you, just wanted to check in. Like that's not invasive. And it's signaling to you, hey, someone noticed that you're not here. And I think we need that. What I think is really worrisome is uh, I often think about how algorithms are giving people uh, a false sense of uh, being ignored. And I am always a little worried about that because there are a lot of friends who I, because I'm, we're, we're all busy, we're all overworked, we're all exhausted, and a lot of times we just go on our feed and we see all the people that uh, and the Facebook has deemed worthy to see to show up on our feed. But there are some friends that I, I, I don't often think about them, and then all of a sudden I'm like, what, what have they been up to? I can't believe I haven't heard anything. Let me go check their Facebook, and I'll check their Facebook. And there'll be a bunch of posts that I completely didn't see because Facebook didn't think I, I should see it. And I'm, I, I, I often worry about that, people, because, again, I even saw that their posts had barely any interactions. And I was like, ah, oh, that sucks. 
<clears throat> there's something else that goes on too, which is um, some people get shadow banned. So I've been shadow banned any number of times, usually because I'm talking about black people or I'm yelling about the patriarchy <laughs> or something along that line. And so I, I made a comment to my my partner. This was like one day last year. I was like, oh, I had posted blah, 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 blah. And I was like, and I noticed you didn't say any, you didn't say anything about it. And he, as he starts to answer and it was like, because I think I'm shadow banned again. And then he was like, oh, I thought you were going to be mad because I wasn't looking at your post. And I was like, nope, pretty sure you're just not seeing him. <laughs> I will always, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, being shadow banned whenever you're talking about uh, uh, black issues or any kind of activism, uh, because when it comes to social media, I will always immediately follow a black creator because I know that Instagram is not the nicest uh, social media. And a lot of times I feel like uh, a lot of white creators will get so much notoriety, get so much visibility and black creators get chunned, get, get ignored. And I think that's pretty messed up. I'm <laughs> I'm trying to keep my vanity down to a minimum. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good substitute. <laughs> I think one of the things that's really challenging about that is how often I will, there are black creators that I have followed for years and that I will see something that I know is theirs, like a signature of theirs, the way they do their Instagram posts or the way they phrase things. And I'll see it on a, a white creators post and then it's getting like thousands of views. And I'm just like, hold on, hold on. And that's really frustrating because I I know that the, the creators that I have, I do choose to follow, I'm very deliberate about that. I do a lot of cultivation on my personal social media because I want to make sure that I am in alignment with who I'm following and I will unfollow people when I'm like, yeah, this didn't, like, man, it's been a couple months and this is not landing. So this is no longer for me, but that's cool because there are other people who are going to be happy to hear what you have to say. So I think it's a I think it's a twofold problem, which is one, we are we feel like we're screaming into the void as people of color, especially as black women, I think, especially uh, black queer men constantly. I constantly feel like I'm screaming into the void. <clears throat> but there's also this thing that I have noticed white people do where they will it's like there's two different things that happen. It's one, they don't think that they can relate to like black movies or television shows, but they wanna follow a lot of black creators. <clears throat> and then they're using the words from the black creators, they're free using the phrases from the black creators, and then they're sharing things, but they're not sharing the black creators thing. <laughs> That's, like a, that's really well put. That's really well put. But they're like, oh, I like this slang word, but I'm not going to share this art that I got inspired from this thing. Oh, that's also messed up because I'm, as an artist, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't like when people don't cite the art. And so if I see someone sharing art and not mention the artist, I will always do my due diligence and make sure I cite the art. And oh, that's got to be frustrating seeing. <laughs> As an artist, I am the same way. And I have to tell you, there is a there is an app that we all use to um, pin things from the internet. Now that's the only name I'm gonna say, but uh, 
when you first joined, when like they very first originated, so it was invite only, and you had to cite your source. Like you had to have a website. You had to very clearly cite where that came from. And the thing I hate the most about that site now, and I, I used to be a power user. I loved it more than anything. <laughs> um, you don't have to do that anymore. And you haven't had to do that in a long time. So you can post anything. You can post art. And there's sometimes I will come across a piece like I buy art. I have art on my wall that I'm like, I loved it and I wanted it. I'm trying to find this. I'm trying to buy this and I can't find it. I can't, if I can't find the artist, something's real wrong. If I can't even do a backwards search for the photo to find this piece of art, where did you get this from? Did you just like go into this person's room and take a photograph? Like what was happening? <laughs> I am very frustrated. And it's it's a very good point that you made about uh, um, white folks who aren't willing to watch uh, movies or shows where it's a predominantly black cast because they, uh, for some reason, they can't empathize. They can't understand watching a TV show. They're like, oh, that's something that, that's experience I'm not going to know, so I'm just not going to watch it. What the hell? Like, isn't, isn't every fictional show something that you, a life that you are not living? Like, you should be able to watch any kind of content. That's frustrating. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> It, it really came to a head for me in 2016 when I had a, um, I noticed that I would have friends who would ask about book recommendations. And then I noticed that they were almost always by white men, followed by white women, and, and kind of down the line. And I had this moment where I was like, okay, well, what does my reading look like? And at that time on Goodreads, you could actually see who your top, um, authors were. They took that feature out, which is a shame because it was fantastic, but it, it showed me very clearly and it was just like top down. It was like um, black or white men, white women, then like Asian men, Asian women, Latin men. And really literally for me, I read black books, black authored books, but I didn't read as many as I thought I should. So then I had to really kind of start digging into what that was about. And it it gets really complex because I'm in the first generation after loving was passed. That was after the civil rights movement. Um, I think there was a lot of status quo at that point. We're like, we got this far, just kind of like, let it go. The eighties and nineties are extremely rife with, uh, <clears throat> we don't see color. And so we were really expected to like, you know, you know, very specific black people, you know, uh, Alice Walker, you know, James Baldwin, you know, <laughs> uh, Ossie Davis, you know, Ruby D. But kind of beyond that, you know, you will, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, Eddie Murphy. But there's sort of a line where there's a lot of people out there that you just don't know who these people are. And so in 2016, I was like, OK, I personally have to change. So I was like, OK, my goal from now on is I'm going to focus on by POC media, not just books, media. And my first year, I think I read um, 70 books by people of color. And people, cause I kept, people were like, oh, I don't know any. And I was like, well, here's a list of like 70 books. <laughs> and they're all by people of color. I started a Facebook group 
I'm no longer I'm no longer running that. That's a different Facebook. But it was um, having conversations with people was really interesting because then people were like, oh, you should watch this show or you should watch this show. And I would say, I thank you for that suggestion. But like, I'm not engaging with that kind of media right now. Um, no, I'm not going to read that book by that white male author, author that six different men told me about because apparently everybody loves this one particular dude. And they all recommended the same stupid book too. And it was just like, wow, okay, guys, really? <laughs> I'm going to need you to diversify a little. Having the conversation is really challenging for me because as someone who did grow up with a white parent and white, both of my older sisters are white, when someone says to me, I can't relate to that, I'm like, what do you think I've been doing my entire life? Do you understand that in high school, I didn't have a single black teacher. I did not have a black teacher until I was my, my first year of college. <laughs> so that means from elementary school on, I did not have a single black teacher. <clears throat> I didn't have the kind of exposure that I could have. I didn't have black books. What I did have was access to black people. So my dad's family, my aunts and uncles, my cousins. I did get to see black media, but the black media was so specific. When you look at shows like The Cosby Show and A Different World, a Different World is actually one of the best shows that's ever been on television, and I highly recommend people watch it. I think it, it doesn't just capture the college experience. It captures the Black college experience with really kind of darker and warmer honesty than you would expect. Like, it starts off, there's a... Uh, this, there's a woman that's 26 and everybody's like, oh my God, there's a divorcee. Like, what will we do? It's so shocking. <laughs> there's a, a very wealthy girl who's just like very obnoxious. There's the poor kid that, you know, is there on scholarship. Like they really kind of went there. They had a mixed race girl on the show and it was just, I think it was the first time I'd ever really had the opportunity to see a mixed race character on a show portrayed honestly I was like oh I don't like her but I get her and I think I didn't like her because she made me uncomfortable with myself I felt like she was blacker than I was and I didn't have the words to articulate that and that was an adult that was um Freddie play portrayed by Cree Summer who Cree Summer goddess whatever I love you oh my god yeah you're amazing I <laughs> watch this show i think i'm going to watch it because of your recommendation now but i do recognize chris summer as a fan of animation so that name right then my light my my eyes lit up because i'm like yes goddess <laughs> right, she's i mean just when you <clears throat> if you had told teenage me that I would grow up to be the biggest Cree Summer fan who she has like a metal band. She's been on uh, what we do in the shadows. Like this woman, whew, I had no idea that Freddie was going to be so formative in my life. <laughs> Thank you, Freddie. <laughs> but the, the idea that someone could watch um, Dawson's Creek and feel like that's more realistic than a, black show about college i don't know i have questions i don't know, really know anything about dawson's creek i've never actually watched it <laughs> uh, i will watch your show recommendation versus dawson creek any day and i do you just said the show's name and i don't even remember it but dawson what was the show again dawson's creek i no, know no. it was really popular show, when i was like 
Oh, a different world. A different world. Okay, I'm gonna write that down because I do want to see it. I'll find it on social on some streaming service. But I'm always down for more show recommendations that I would otherwise. Um, there's a lot of shows I missed out on, and so I'm gonna check this one out. I um, I will get, I will send you a list anytime you want it. And also, you should put that one in the show notes because it's um, Kadeem Hardison and Jasmine Guy are like the penultimate couple of the show, and just Jasmine Guy is a singer, a dancer, a writer, and just, oh, uh, yes, no, still goddess, love her. <laughs> but I watch this show over Dawson's Creek any day. I have no interest in watching Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I'm into it. I love it. <laughs> um, And I do, because, like, it's it's interesting. If you look at your reading list and you saw that there was just a bunch of uh, the top category was white men, Um. There was one time when I was doing uh, uh, an art challenge called June, uh, Tune June or June Tune. I think it's Tune June. And I wanted to draw in different styles. And so I asked people for suggestions. And I saw a trend. I saw that it was just a bunch of white male artists. And I'm like, there's other artists out there. We can, we can look. We can do the work. We have the internet at our hand. We can. And I feel like it is. Uh, and <laughs> I know I'm, I'm preaching the choir here. But I know it's privilege, and it is they're focusing on giving uh, most, uh, as far as trending issues are going to be concerned, those male, uh, white male artists are going to be more uh, shared, going to be more noticed on social media. And uh, it's really easy, it's really easy to uh, find yourself being sexist and racist uh, accidentally, inadvertently. You just, that's the society that we've been molded by. I think it's more inadvertent than accidental, but I agree. Yes, that's a, inadvertent is better than accidental. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm acknowledging your, your word change. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was scrolling, th- when I was thinking about all these questions, I was scrolling through your Instagram and I came across your photos <laughs> from uh, uh, Black Fay Day, which yeah. I, I adore the day and your costume was amazing. I love it so much. <laughs> Um, so my partner made that outfit and I cannot get into it by myself, which I don't think he, and <laughs> I don't think that was his intent. <laughs> uh, bullshit. I'm going to, I'm going to call him out. <laughs> um, but one of the things I know that he loved about the experience was he got to create the costume. He got to be my dresser. He was my photographer and he was also the prop master. So there were, I think there was about a hundred photos total that he took. And I was like, I think you're having more fun than I am. (laughs) He took me to Forest Park, which is um, in Southwest Portland. And I was just like in the middle of the park and people were walking by as he was yelling at me. So he would be yelling like, smile, be a queen, be angry, be ferocious. And people would walk by and I would, there's a photo of me literally going, (laughs) because I'm just so unsure what to do with him at that point. Cause I'm just like, I don't, why are you? Oh God. (laughs) That was an amazing day though. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned the location because uh, yeah, you living in the Northwest, those trees were pretty gorgeous. I loved every shot. <laughs> yeah, if you ever come visit, that's um, it's actually also close to the International Rose Test Garden, which is one of the most beautiful places in Portland. And I will side note with the thing that still shocks me, I've been here almost a decade, 
how are there so many trees? They're just like everywhere. And whenever people say, what's the most surprising thing about, about Portland? I'm like, it's literally like, what? There's just trees everywhere. Like every, there's parks, there's forests. It, they're just, it's, it's remarkable how many trees there are in this city. <laughs> One of my favorite experiences whenever I'm flying, I hate flying. I hate flying so much. Uh, I think it's the uh, going through security, making sure that you have everything, the anxiety, everything is filled with anxiety and I never enjoy flying, never, not going to. But what I do love about it is when you're finally going below the clouds and like, uh, cause I live in Southern California. So when I leave, <laughs> when I leave the ground, it's a bunch of browns and dirt and yellows and just like uh, desert colors. And then when I land, cause I've done, I have flown to Portland and seen all of a sudden the green and the dark brown of the forest is gorgeous <laughs> it's startling every time decade every time I'm, i flew a lot um in 2016 through 2019 and it's still every time i'm just like wow oh right i live here there's a lot of trees <laughs> <laughs> um I've, i saw a bunch of photos from uh i think it was this year's black bay day where there were a lot of folks a lot of cosplayers having the like fairy tea parties um is it because you said you did that by yourself with your partner mm -hmm. um do you plan on doing any kind of like tea parties or anything or going to are they i i refuse to believe that in portland there aren't <laughs> weird cosplayers that set up tea parties um i have not been able to connect with any of the people that i know were in portland i think several of them have actually left That's since fair the pandemic um <clears throat> that's a whole separate conversation that i'm not even going to get into as to like how challenging it can be here sometimes but um it is my hope that i will be able to at some point and it's um i didn't so i have a whole other costume that i'm working on and i've been working on and it just has not quite come together the way that I wanted to, although I think I just got a piece that I'm like, okay, I think this would be the piece that finally pushes it over. Um, is I want to do a, like a raven, not a queen, but like a raven sort of like lady of the court type thing. So I have a, a reference uh, from a piece, from an artist that I, I'm like, this is the costume I'm going for. <clears throat> so I did not do Black Bay Day this last year or the year before, but, <laughs> Um, I think that the, the, there's so much magic in it and it's one of the, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life, but it's also one of the coolest things I've ever gotten the chance to participate in. And I recommend it whenever I can. And I, I feel so incredibly moved by how many people the first year, um, I think they said something like 5,000 people participated across the world, like the world. People were so excited and that. It's the kind of thing that when people are like, oh, we couldn't find a black artist, we couldn't find a black writer, we couldn't find a black costumer. <clears throat> 5,000 people created costumes and took photographs and put them on the internet. And Black Fade Day actually then gave birth to um, Asian Fade Day. So like we are out here and I think we're doing it so differently. This younger generation, my brother is actually 33, this younger generation, there are some people who were like, well, I suffered and thus you should also suffer. And I'm like, man, you inspire me every day that you just don't listen to these people. Cause I, 80s, 90s, baby. 
we were so inundated with you can't don't don't step outside the lines because we did but then when we did it would be very quickly reined back in and i love that they're going so far in their their creativity and their openness and their kindness and how they they really want to do things differently it is exciting to me to see this many black people because like if it was five thousand people the first year that means it can only get bigger I mean, really, literally, it can, in my brain, I'm like, it'll just get bigger every year. And then it will just take over. <laughs> we'll all just be fairies. It'll be great. <laughs> I I like the idea of, like, uh, there's just a long history of fantasy stories being very <laughs> racist. And so having uh, an audience, especially the younger generations, of being like, nah, we're done with that. We're, we're done. <laughs> no more. <laughs> It also pushes back on that, though, because we think of fairy tales in such a very specific way, right? We're like, oh, it's Hans Christian Andersen. They're Russian. They're Celtic. They're... Do you think that African? There's like 150, 100. I mean, there's there's a ridiculous amount of countries in Africa. Do you think none of them have fairy tales? Like, there we the the. Black god, the African gods that most people know are Yoruban, but there are literally other countries with other gods. Like we think of the Greeks, we think of the uh, the Romans, we think of the the Celtic. It's an entire continent, guys. Pull it together. <laughs> and that just comes. That just brings me back to the idea of uh, being frustrated that people, uh, white audiences, are like, "Oh, I can't connect with that." I'm like, "You can connect with Zeus." Why? <laughs> How? <laughs> right, he's such a. Uh, if you, side noting, if you ever read Webtoons, Lore Olympus uh, is one of the best Webtoons I've ever read. I've been reading it for several years. But Zeus, bro, pull it together. <laughs> like every every time he shows up, you're just like, oh god, what's he done now? <laughs> uh, so you did say everyone being a fairy, everyone being a fae, just a fae invasion. Yes. Um, if you were actually Faye, would you be the helpful type or the mischievous? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool, done, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and th when I thought about this question, uh, I'd like to think that I'd be the helpful type, but uh, there's way too many examples of me being mischievous. Uh, and not in a troublesome way, just uh, when I've done art at shows when i do free art i ask people like what do you want me to draw and if people give me too vague of an answer and they don't want to communicate what they want i'm going to take a i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna draw something that you don't want me to draw like okay for example uh someone asked me to draw green lantern and i said which one and he's like doesn't matter and i'm like okay and so i drew chip the squirrel and i knew i knew he didn't like it <laughs> But I love that. Like, why? I wouldn't have thought of that. But I love that. <laughs> and my, I, like, I happen to know a 10-year-old who would be very excited if they got a squirrel Green Lantern picture. So, like, is it mischievous or is it helpful because you're expanding someone's mind? I don't know. I think it depends on uh, the age because the person who asked for it was a pretty was of the older generation, and I don't think that he liked it because 
a lot of the older folks don't want to be, not don't want to be, but are, uh, it's, I feel like the younger generations are just more open to it being introduced to characters that they don't know about. I feel like my dad would have just laughed. Well, he would have chuckled <laughs> more accurately. <laughs> and I, I would chuckle as well. If I, if I gave an artist a vague answer and they came up with that, I'm like, nope, that's my fault. Thank you very much for this drawing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, would you have an example of like a how uh, this is a weird question, but I was going to ask, uh, do you have an example of uh, some level of mischievousness that would give you the kind of concept that you would be that kind of fay? Um, not necessarily an example so much as of the feedback that I get is that sometimes the response that I give people, it's you gave me a vague answer and then I took it upon myself to do what needed to come next. So I would say I'm more, I'm more subtly mischievous. It's usually later that people are like, wait, what did she just do? But it's too late because I'm already gone. <laughs> <laughs> did she just tell me to have boundaries? I hate her. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> have you watched a critical, uh, 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 Vox Machina on Amazon? No. Uh, it's a pretty cool show. It's a pretty awesome show. It's animated, D&D, &D, critical role. Uh, gorgeous uh, animation. I really enjoy it. But uh, that show, one of the... You know what? Never mind. I can't bring it up because I don't want to spoil anything for you. I okay. want you to... Uh... <laughs> Put it down. <laughs> and, I and I don't even want uh, this this <laughs> this question. And then uh, forgetting the question, I don't want it to be cut out. I want people to wonder, no, wait, what was he going to bring up? No, go watch uh, Vox Machina. Then you'll then I can ask you. Great. And I'll be like, I think I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only uh, do I love your costumes, but I also I was reading down the descriptions, uh, your little intro of who you are, and uh, crocheting. Um, I saw a lot of the crafts that you work on. What I love about it is that uh, if you have scraps on the crafts that you've done, you keep it together and you put it together into a, something new. And I adore that and I was looking at some of the pieces and it's really gorgeous what you've been able to do with the scraps I guess um what has been a uh a recent craft that you created that you absolutely enjoyed creating so we're working on um decoration right now for wasteland and the thing we really wanted to do last year was we really wanted to lean into soft apocalypse and that did not quite work out the way that we wanted to so this year we're really doing it. Like we're going all in. So I am creating bunting and uh, a friend of one of my tribe mates gave us a ridiculous amount of yarn. I think there was like originally three garbage bags of yarn. So my tribe mate Slugnut went through, took out all of the animal fiber ones because I'm allergic. And I still ended up with like a full garbage bag of yarn. I already had a tote of yarn, so that's a lot of yarn. Um, so this extra yarn that we have and all these, so like this, this is pink and purples. Um, this is gonna get faded. And then I did a bunch from last year that my partner had forgotten for the uh, event. Um, but it's just gonna be our bunting going across our whole entire camp and I'm doing it in different colors, in different shapes. 
um, it's called freeform crochet, where you are not following a pattern. You're just sort of like, this one's completely different. So it has a completely different shape. Um, this one also has a completely different shape with the same colors. So like, this is all part of one bunting, basically. Um, and I'm really enjoying this because I can sit down and do it anywhere. Like, oh, I'm just going to watch a little TV or like, I guess it's Sailor Moon time or, oh, watch Abbott Elementary. That's high on my list right now. Um, so, I, the, and this is just like, I have this, this is what I have. Like, I don't have gigantic balls of yarn. So I'm just cutting them up and like making my own yarn. And it's been really fun because I'm like, oh yeah, like when this is done, like this is a pain right now. I've got stacks and stacks, they're everywhere. Um, but when this is done, this is going to be beautiful. And this is going to be like waving in the breeze and people are going to come and they're going to see this beautiful bunting. And our whole camp is just going to be like soft apocalypse. <laughs> and I love that. I love uh, the freeform crocheting because I feel like people underestimate the therapeutic uh, aspects of doing something, uh, doing a piece of artwork that is kind of repetitive, that you're just adding shape upon shape upon shape upon shape. But you'll see that if someone draws like a triangle and adds another triangle, adds another triangle until it's filled with a bunch of triangles, it's very calming. I always connect that kind of art style to meditation. It's just something to get your brain to, I don't want to say check out, but just to slow things down and relax. Like it doesn't have to be like this amazing art piece. You could just keep adding stuff to a thing. Yeah, my first year for Wasteland Barter, I made pins and I'm, I might make some this year, but they, uh, I was using jute and cut up pieces of tire and uh, smashed bullets with holes in them. Um, last year I was doing things with bells. The idea that you can only do something really specific you use yarn, you use a crochet hook. That is not my experience because I, from the beginning, when I very first started crocheting, I was like, what, what else could I crochet with? Okay, well, I've got some tool. Let's see how this works. I was cutting up tool and making my own yarn. I've made tool jewelry. I've used fuzzy yarn. I make, I crochet with wire. Um, I have crocheted lace. Uh, little patches with embroidery thread. Uh, if you put it in my hand and it is possible to crochet, it will be crocheted. Uh, plastic lanyard that you used for uh, like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts to make the bracelets. Uh, I've made rings out of that. Like I don't, if you put it in my hand, I have a crochet hook. I, that's all I need. Just like hand me something and I have a crochet hook. I don't know what you're getting back. Is this what <laughs> That would sound like such a threat. <laughs> I've got I've got my crochet my crochet hook. If you if it if it gets in my proximity, I will crochet you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I literally have two just sitting here, like one's wire with a sewing needle on the other end, and one's plastic, and then I've got like a little piece of um, green wire that I crochet. Like I just yeah, it's not. It is not a thing I think about. And I think that's the part that weirds people out. They're like, you must put a lot of thought into this. I'm like, not really. Like it was sitting in front of me and I had a crochet hook. I am thinking, a of the, thing. I'm thinking of the grossest horror movie. 
<laughs> with someone that crochets people. <laughs> you know, you couldn't crochet them whole, but yes. <laughs> oh, I, I, I didn't think of them being whole. I thought of uh, some really gross imagery that I'm like, ah, I wonder how I would draw that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're gonna get weird. <laughs> to have someone like just <laughs> cutting people up and making like really beautiful scarves and it's like, ew. Uh... <laughs> I have these like teeny tiny, these beautiful like silver um, vintage crochet hooks that someone gave me. And I was like, I love that you both understand that this is functional as a thing I could use. And it is also a weapon because you have given it to me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. <laughs> um, on the last episode that you were on, the first episode that you were on, uh, you had mentioned Afro, uh, Afrofuturism. Yeah. And that is a genre that ever since you... Like, I think I've heard about it, but I never really dived into knowing more about it until you brought it up. And I'm like, oh, damn, here's a here's a genre that I need, I want to know more about. And I've checked on websites, I've looked at hashtags, I've looked at a bunch of stuff. And I even asked you uh, if I could get like a, uh, a book list, a list of recommendations of something to read, because the genre is absolutely amazing. Um, so my question is, what books would you recommend? <clears throat> I did a short list and I apologize because I think I meant to send you a list and then I completely brained out on that. Um, <laughs> so my short list is um, I started with a novella that I've read a couple of times because I was like, yeah, this one has to be on my list. Um, it's called The Black God's Drums by P. Jolly Clark. Although I want to say I have yet to come across anything by P. Jolly Clark that isn't worth reading. So I want to really caveat with that. Um, was it last year? I think last year I read a book called The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. And there is a couple of different things going on here. This is kind of like, it's a little cyberpunky. It's got some African futurism. There's some robots. I think that Nikki Drayden's a really cool writer. So I highly recommend The Prey of Gods. And I think one of the things that's really important about The Prey of Gods is um, so African futurism and Afrofuturism are different. And the difference is African futurism is very much focused on the continent of Africa. <clears throat> and it's really important for me to mention that because one of the things as a mixed race person growing up, I've encountered a lot of other mixed people and I'm always astounded by how people are confused about things like, um, I read this amazing article by this Afro-German Afro girl who said people always asked her if she was African-American and she kept trying to explain to them she was German and like people couldn't <laughs> understand that. So like there's Afro-Latins, there's Afro-Irish, there's Afro-Scots that, you know, like we're everywhere. Black people are everywhere. And this is part of why I love Afrofuturism so much. Um, but I really want to respect the people who are doing African futurism to honor the continent of Africa and their homelands, like that's really, really important. Um, in that same vein, I think Lagoon by Nettie Okorafor is one of the first books I read um, on Af I, it might actually be the first African futurism book I ever consciously read. So picture this, the aliens come, 
we're very used to the story taking place in New York, right? We've seen it in San Francisco. We know it's going to happen in Los Angeles. Maybe it's going to happen in England. It's possible it could happen in Paris. Okay, but what happens if it's Lagos, Nigeria? So it's happening all over the world, but the part of the story we're getting is entirely from people in Lagos, Nigeria. So now what? How does the story play out? This book is, I've read this book two or three times and I recommend it all the time. I read it, I think 2016, and I still am recommending this book because I think it stands out in my mind as like, oh, if you were gonna do this, this was the way, this was the way to do this. So Nnedi Okorafor in general, but please read Lagoon. I think you would really, really enjoy it. It sounds um, right. <laughs> Dark Matter and Dark Matter 2. I actually took an uh, Afrofuturism class with Tanana Du and Stephen Barnes a couple of years ago. One of my friends recommended it to me because he was taking the class, and so we took the class together. Um, I had actually read uh, Dark Matter, so I kind of already done the homework. It was what is amazing about it is it's Afrofuturism that we don't even think about because people don't think about W.E.B. Du Bois as being an Afrofuturist. We don't talk about um, someone that early in the canon, <laughs> but there he was. He has a, a short story called The Comet, which is one of the earliest recorded Afrofuturism stories on record. And it's like literally last black man on earth. So it's really well done. Um, some of the best authors you will ever encounter and you will want to read more by these people. So Dark Matter and Dark Matter 2. And then I can't let any list like this go without adding Dawn by Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler, um, there are scholars that study her. She has her own wing of the Huntington Library. Uh, it's called the Octavia Butler Archive. I can't wait to go. Dawn does something that makes me incredibly uncomfortable, which is I have a really hard time imagining the aliens. I have a really active imagination. I am an artist, I'm a photographer, I'm really good at this. And I can't, because my brain does not want to. I, I relate to the main character, cause she's like, my brain is just either in front of me and I just, mm -mm, nope, I'm not, I reject this. I just reject this. <laughs> she's describing them, but your brain just like does not, it's so, it's so upsetting that you don't want to intake it. And I think that's so well done. <laughs> You're making me so uncomfortable, but I want to keep reading your book. <laughs> that is impressive to me. And she has a branch of the Huntington Library? Uh, it's a, like a wing. So it's the oh. Octavia, yeah, it's like the Octavia Butler archives. And you can go, you can look at her notes. You can go um read she, you know she didn't publish as many books as she could have but the other book i will recommend which is afrofuturistic apocalypse and i recommend it all the time but i will caveat with this is an extremely challenging book it is hard to read because it uh the be, it starts in 2024 or 2025 so like we're very close to when the book starts and we are in an extremely awkward place in the world right now, where like that book could be real with very little effort, the things yeah. that are happening in it. Um, 
Parable of the Sower is one of the best things I have ever read. Adrienne Marie Brown and Toshi Regan did a podcast for Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Absolutely worth your time. Uh, read it, listen to the podcast, and just know you're, I mean, you're, you're, your heart's going to be in your throat the entire time. It's so good. Um, the parallels between where we are right now and what she's talking about in the book. People have called Octavia Butler a seer, and she wasn't. She wasn't a prophet. She was looking at the world around her and seeing that if we did not pay attention, we would pay a price. And to our great misfortune, people are like, we're in the Handmaid's Tale. And I'm like, boy, you wish. <laughs> I feel like that's the case for a lot of really good sci-fi writers is they can uh, not be psychic, but they can see where things are going and predict uh, uncomfortably close to how humanity will get worse. <laughs> 1984, uh, I, I mean, people very uncomfortable because I was like live, like I was reading it and then I was like going in and posting it on social media and like talking about things. And I actually had someone come in and was like, can you please stop doing this? And I was like, nope. Fahrenheit 451 always makes me nervous with all the little predictions in there. I'm like, ah, damn Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Like when they when they mention the uh, eggshells in the ears, I'm like, no, nah, that would be how you describe earphones for someone who doesn't know what an earphone is. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that really jumped out at people about the parable of the uh, parable of the sower is that there is a um, the the man who runs for and becomes president. Uh, his tagline is literally "Make America Great Again." Like it's literal, like word for word. Is that? She wrote that in like 1989. Okay, so okay, so did, did she get that from Reagan? Because I think Reagan came up with that line. Um, I don't remember Reagan ever using that. Uh, no, no, he Reagan Reagan totally did. Like I was looking at the thing and I saw that uh, Trump had no original thought of his own. Uh, that was a stolen line. So, if you ever have the chance, I'm just gonna completely side note real quick with um, uh, Rachel Maddow wrote a did a podcast and wrote a book called Bagman. Uh -huh. His entire playbook is out of Spiro Agnews, except for a few things that he stole from Reagan. But I'm telling you, Bagman will blow your mind. I was like, I didn't know a lot about I I knew about Nixon, you know, whatever. But like the stuff you don't know about Spiro Agnew. They kept saying, this is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. Oh, yes, we have. His name was Spiro Agnew. What? Yeah. In, it's it's pure insanity, to be honest. Like, and I mean that in the most literal way. <laughs> uh, which of those books would you want to see? Or I, I mean, I, maybe even the book that you didn't mention. Uh, which of the books would you want to see made into a movie? The book that I realized I wanted to see made into a movie is a book that I read and like, I like, I finished it and I put it down and then I was like, just kidding. And I picked it up and I read it again. <laughs> Alyssa Cole is one of my favorite writers and she wrote a, it's not like a full length novel, but it's called The AI Who Loved Me. <laughs> um, and I would cast Kiki Palmer and John Cho. And I gave this a lot of thought, 
because I was like, do I, is it John Cho? Is that like, is that the direction I'm going? And then like, I actually looked up Asian actors and was like, no, like it was a vibe. There was a very specific vibe I wanted after reading this story. And I was like, no, it's, it would be John Cho. It's gotta be John Cho. And I think that John Cho and Kiki Palmer, like off the charts. I want to see this. I want to see this too. And what was the book again? Oh, that, no, I'm never going to forget that name. The AI who loved me. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I was going to ask you the title and I, because I, I, I'm bad with names. I'm bad with names of actors. I'm bad with, but AI that loved me, that's never going to forget. I'm never going to forget it. Uh, especially with all the cases of AI stealing jobs uh, with artists and writers. So I'm never going to forget that name. <laughs> okay. So I do want to say one thing though. Okay. The AI artist debate is a really complex one for me because one, um, I work in computers, so I've been hearing AI conversations for a really long time. Um, I know that there's been a lot of really strange and unusual things happening. I have talked to um, uh, a lot of like black engineers who have they're trying to like feed the AI so that there are people of color in there in the first place. So one of the things that I noticed though, was that when the big explosive conversation happened around AI stealing artists jobs, it was at the same time that people of color, especially the black people were able to put themselves into situations unlike anything they've ever seen. So we were able to suddenly see art with ourselves, like in the future, um, on the moon, uh, in fantasy. Uh, I did some goth pieces myself uh, when it, when I first jumped on, into Mid Journey, and so I think it's a uh, art is extremely important. Art is one of my favorite things. It is something that is m- music, painting. Uh, I'm a fiber artist. Like I am very deeply ingrained in the arts as are most of my friends. Um, And I think that there is a bigger, deeper conversation that we've got to have around if you're going to be this angry about AI, you also have to recognize that you have put capabilities into the hands of people who didn't have it previously that was needed. So it's this no, I don't want them to be stealing from artists. Absolutely, 100%. But that means we have to figure out a way to refine it more so that that's not what's happening. But we can still keep this amazing thing where getting to see some of this art, like getting to see Black people in situations, like Black people in like the Jetsons-style situations, Black people in fantasy, I I have been so pleased to see so much of that. The place I haven't loved it is, um, I feel like there's a lot of modern stuff that they try to do because they aren't really thinking about it. And they're like, you know, like beautiful black women, just like in modern day worlds having lunch. And I'm like, you could go to Instagram and find that though. So this is part of the bigger conversation that I would love to have with people, which is yes and. <laughs> I have never given anyone shit for using AI art because I do see that it is the the products that come out of it have been pretty cool. I definitely would like more consent on what art is submitted. 100%. Uh, 
I also don't like big studios exploiting it uh, when big businesses who can afford to hire artists use it to not hire an artist. I get very upset about. Um, my friend is also uh, has also been talking about AI for a long time. Uh, she works in uh, the medical field. She's a Harvard professor, and they use AI to be able to do some really cool stuff. So I'm not entirely against AI. I just feel like there needs to be, like you said, refinement. I think that there needs to be rules in place that protect artists from getting ripped off. Yeah, and I think it's because I've, I I wanted to say it because I, I've seen a lot of people shaming and I'm like, you shouldn't be shaming me though. You should be like, shaming the well-known newspaper that decided to do an entire article from AI so they wouldn't have to pay a writer or an artist. Like, shaming me because I was like, I want to create some black goth girl art. Like, I'm not doing anything, though. I'm not stealing from anyone because I'm not taking this art and then, like, making prints of it and selling it. Whereas this national newspaper, you know, like... It's the bigger conversation that I think is just so vital. And uh, Adrienne Marbury Brown talks about this, like not canceling each other. And just, we have to be mindful that this is part of community. We've got to, okay, yes, you're frustrated about it, but like, yeah, we got to have these bigger conversations because if you're yelling at the people and we're still letting the corporations just do whatever, we're not getting there. <laughs> Agreed. And that's why I've never, whenever someone uses AI art, I don't want to support their images. I'll like their images, but I won't, I won't actually like it because I can't get around to it. Hey. <laughs> but um, I won't, I won't shame anyone for using it. I'm going to send you someone that I think her, um, so she is an artist who has been studying and working with AI for years. So her AI art is fascinating to me because of the amount of work she's done to refine it. So part of what she does, her name's Nettie, um, she actually will like take a piece of her own art or take a piece of her own photography and then she'll run it through the AI and just the way she does lines and shadows to enhance her own artwork, like that's the kind of thing I wanna see more of. That's the power I think she's really demonstrating the power we have if we are using the tools the way that they really genuinely should be used versus giant corporations deciding to not pay people because that's that's not the way. Yes, that's uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking of the word ethically that this artist seems to be used in the AI. Yes, yes. Uh, with that being said, uh, I would like uh, to close the episode with uh, what what because like you you explained a lot of really good stuff with boundaries and i'm trying to think of what else you would be able to say uh what what words of wisdom would you give to someone who is aspiring to get better at protecting their own mental health their own person their own you you mentioned peace a lot in your uh conversations and posts on social media so protecting their peace so my birthday was last week and that was the decision that i made about myself was I really want to be better about that because I am always the one who like, I am the sounding board and you can come talk to me and like, I, I can intake it. And I'm finding I have less and less bandwidth for that these days. I don't want to be talking you down 
once a week because like you could be self-regulating better that could just be a thing one of the most important things that we don't do is we don't honor that other people just get to make their own decisions and that's part of how you protect your peace you don't like the thing your friend is about to do that's not your business if they come to you and they ask you you can talk to them about it but you fretting about it you worrying about it you chasing after them this is this you are disturbing your peace you're mad at them but it's you so sometimes the boundary i guess this is the piece of advice i want to give you sometimes the boundaries for you i am not going to oh i see jimmy over there doing a thing Mm-mm. okay so do i say something do i you know what unsolicited advice is unsolicited if jimmy needs me jimmy will tell me he needs me and at that point i can say do you need me to support you do you need me to give you advice do you need to rant what is it you need from me right now and then i'm recognizing the autonomy of the other person and the autonomy of myself because i don't have to be the smartest person in the room i don't always have to be right and Another way of really protecting your peace is that last one is remembering that what you think is best for another person isn't always accurate. And that was one of my hardest lessons was like, do I even have enough data to be inputting to to be telling these people how to live their lives? Because maybe I'm missing a really important piece of the puzzle. Um, If you're struggling with your partner, for example, and people are like, you should break up with your partner. They're only hearing the bad stuff you're saying, but they're not seeing how deeply this person cares for you and how much they take. And like, maybe this person's just messing up right now. But do you throw away a long-term relationship when somebody's messing up because the people around you are like, I'm sick of his crap. Like, is that up to them? (laughs) Same thing. If you are annoyed when they're doing that to you, don't be doing that to other people. Mind your business, protect your peace. Protect your energy. It's important.